Always thankful for the opportunity to uh, be up here and uh, speak with you this morning. Uh, this might be my last time in a while because Pastor Matt's coming soon. That's exciting. We're excited about that, and we look forward to him coming in just a couple of weeks. He'll be starting, so uh, this is an exciting time, but I'm thankful for this privilege. When, uh, when we finished our last series, PJ was kind of looking ahead and, and recognized that we'd had a few weeks of preaching to fill, and so he sent me a message and you know, asked me what, what date would work for me, and I picked this one without knowing it would be Father's Day, so um, kind of like with BJ, I just you know, wasn't really on my radar at that point. This was several weeks ago, and so I'm probably not the most qualified person to uh, speak in front of you uh, on Father's Day about fatherhood, but um, we'll just let God's word speak for itself, and hopefully you'll be challenged today. Uh, a disclaimer as we begin, I know that you know, this is a message for fathers, and so it's very easy if you are not a father to just kind of say, oh, well, it's not for me, uh, but I would challenge you not to do that. I would encourage you to... Um, gain from our message this morning what, uh, what God has for us. Uh, but as we begin, I just want to um, go through some statistics of fatherhood. You can find various statistics about fathers, uh, and specifically, there are lots of statistics about uh, what happens when a child does not have a father uh, in the home living with them. Um, this, these statistics I'm going to read for you are from the National Fatherhood Initiative, uh, the, the latest uh, uh, that these statistics came out was in 2015, I believe. So these are a few years old, but I couldn't find really any um, newer research that's out there. Um, but one out of three children growing up in America does not have their father in their home with them. One out of three. Uh, Children, specifically girls who grow up without a father in their home, are seven times more likely, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. I thought this was interesting. Uh, a child growing up without a father is twice as likely to suffer from childhood obesity. I was reading some statistics that there is a direct correlation between a child's body mass index and their father's activity level. Uh, hmm. Better get up out of my chair, right? <laughs> a little more. Um, children without fathers are twice as likely to drop out of high school. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, to uh, do drugs or drink alcohol, to commit crime, to go to prison, to suffer poverty. The reality is that even a secular world recognizes the importance of having a father in your life. And so the father's task, which we're looking at today, is a very, very critical one for any young person. Now, I've had the privilege in my ministry to uh, help out students who don't have fathers. And so it's important for all of us uh, to be there and try and fill those gaps as the body of Christ for children that might not have that in their lives. I grew up in a divorced family. My, my parents were divorced when I was very young, and it's something that I've, it's the most difficult thing that I've had to deal with in my life up to this point. It is a very, very difficult thing not having your father at home with you. And I spent a lot of uh, my years growing up very bitter and very angry at both of my parents for it. And so the father's task is an incredibly critical one in the life of any child, and, and you know, I want us to appreciate that and to sort of analyze what that task is this morning. 
as we begin our time. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 25, which you might think is an odd place to start in a message about fathers. But what we're going to look at today is I believe that the father's task is broken down into two areas, that there are two primary functions that the father is to have and perform. Task number one, I believe, is found here in Ephesians 5. Task number one is to love his children's mother. I am absolutely convinced, convinced, that the most important thing I can do for my children is love their mom. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And so I think that as we look at the Father's task, that this is where it needs to start. And so we're going to look at this love this morning. We're going to start Ephesians 5, verse 25. I'll be reading from the NIV. The words will also be up on the screen. We're going to read to verse 33. Here's what it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a pro profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so before we get into the husband's love for his wife, which I believe is the first task to being a father, let's think about first, this morning we need to highlight our Savior, right? That's where it all comes back to. That I cannot be a father, you cannot fulfill any purpose that God has for your life apart from your Savior. And so really, the gospel of Christ is where this journey, this whole thing starts, in fact, in God's eyes, I believe it is impossible to be a God-honoring father apart from having first experienced salvation through what Jesus did on the cross and through the empty tomb. And so as we look at the father's test, as we look at the love that the husband is to have for his wife, we need to keep in mind that it is a picture and that ultimately it starts with Jesus. And so I would encourage you that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus or if you're struggling in that relationship, that, that you need to make that right. And God then will use you in tremendous ways. Now, I believe there are four kinds of love here that are listed, again, looking at Christ as the example that a, uh, a husband is to have for his wife. The first is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. He gave himself up for her, obviously speaking of Christ. And so Christ gave up a lot of things for our benefit. He gave up his position in heaven. He was ruling and reigning with the Father, and he came to earth to be born as a baby. He gave up his control 
He gave up his relationships, especially on the cross. He gave up, he sacrificed his relationship with the Father for our sakes, for our benefits. And so this sacrifice that Christ gave went to the point of even dying. As a husband to my children's mother, it is important for me to sacrifice for her. What do I give up? What do you give up? What do you sacrifice? Having any relationship that is worthwhile requires sacrifice, right? Any relationship you can have if it, that's worthwhile, it requires a sacrifice. Whether it's to a spouse, to your children, to your parents, whatever it is, it's going to require you to sacrifice something for their benefit. Real love cannot exist without real sacrifice. And so this is an important part of the love that husbands are to have for their wives. Sacrificial love. Gave himself up for her. Second kind of love is purifying love. It says to make her holy. Christ died to make us holy, to sanctify us, to separate us apart for his purposes. I need to have that same kind of love for my wife. I need to protect my wife from sin. I need to seek my wife's holiness. As a husband, that is your responsibility. That's a very, very big task. That my wife's spiritual condition is part of my responsibility. As I was thinking about this, my, my mind immediately went to, are there things that I do? Are there choices that I make? Is there a way in which I live that tempts my wife to sin? Do I live in such a way to cause my wife to be tempted to fear? To be anxious? To covet? Or do I protect her from that? Do I seek to do all I can to ensure that she is free from temptation that comes from me? Can I tell you, my biggest fear as a husband, this is my biggest fear as a husband, is that my wife would look at another husband or another wife and think, man, I wish I was her, or look at how great her husband treats her. I wish my husband would do that for me. That's my biggest fear, right? Don't want to live in such a way so that that happens. That's my responsibility. Purifying love to make her holy. Do I live in such a way to protect my wife from sin? Third kind of love is caring love. It says, as your own body, as your own body, caring love. Uh, this is the tender, sweet love. Think about your own body, right? You don't hate it, you feed it, you care for it. In the same way, I need to have that for my wife. I need to supply her comfort. Something big in this area that I was thinking about is that I need to be aware of my wife's preferences, right? This is a big aspect of caring love. What does my wife care about? What does she prefer? What would she want to do? What does she like? 
<laughs> I remember. Oh, I was so dumb when we first got married. Um, but I remember, that's really what marriage does, you re- right? You realize how dumb you are, right? Is that fair? Um, maybe that's just me. But anyway, uh, so I remember, you know, we get married. And it's like, oh, okay, so now let's, uh, I'm going to try and get my wife interested in everything that I'm interested in, right? So then we can do stuff together, right? But it's really what I'm interested in. I'm just kind of dragging her along, right? So one of those things was video games. My wife's horrible at them, which is fine. You know, she'd be like, uh, you know, we'd be playing together, and she'd be like, how do you know you can do that? How do you know you can jump that high as Mario? I said, I don't know. I just know. You know, so I'm dragging her along, and she's doing it because she wants to be a good wife, right? She wants to, oh, okay, but she really hated it, Right? And so an aspect that I've been really challenged with over the years in this area of caring love is, well, what does she want to do with her time? What would she prefer to do? And usually it's talking. (laughs) (laughs) Which you got to do. I remember when we were dating, when we were dating, if you know anything, uh, something you should know about me is that I hate talking on the phone with people. I absolutely hate it. I don't know why I hate it. I just, I just do. I'd much rather text you or just see you in person, maybe, or, you know, just leave me a voicemail. You know, sometimes, you know, someone will call me and I'll just, well, if it's really important, they'll leave a voicemail and then I have a means to engage them in conversation when I call them back, right? There's nothing worse to me than someone who calls just to say hello, because then it's like, okay, how long is this going to take? Although I am thankful for my father-in-law because he called me last night just to say Happy Father's Day. He was praying for me because he knew I was preaching today. And the call was two minutes and 17 seconds. I was like, yes, <laughs> that I can handle. But uh, I hate talking on the phone. So when we were dating, it was, it was during the summer. And so Julie was working at a camp and I, I was at home working. And I told her that I would basically give her like an hour a week. <laughs> Such a nice guy, right? Where we could talk on the phone and, you know, we could just kind of keep each other updated. Like calling every day and talking for 10, 15 minutes, I find excruciating. And so I found, okay, well, maybe I can just kind of block that all together. Yeah, I'm kind of a terrible person, I know. <laughs> but, I figured, you know, if we could just block that all together, then, you know, we could communicate, which is what she wanted. And, you know, I could kind of just say, okay, this is a way that I am showing my tremendous love for you by giving you an hour of my week. Um, sounds really bad now that, it's, now that it's being said out loud. But the point is, what does your wife care about? What interests her? A big aspect of this caring love of taking care of her is to recognize her needs and her preferences and deciding, you know what? I might not like it, but... I'm going to do it for her. Uh, one of my mentors, Dwight Peterson, uh, he used to talk about this in college, and he said that there was a meal that his wife made often that he couldn't stand, and he never told her. And his kids actually spent you know, their lives trying to figure out what the meal was because he never showed it outwardly that he despised this meal. I mean, he told her about it, you know, he didn't tell her what the meal was, but he told her there was a meal he despised, so I don't know if that's good or not, but the point was, it was something that she liked, it was something that she cared about, and so he was going to just do it. 
Submit to her preferences. I am not, uh, this is, I, I know I'm talking a lot about this caring love because it's probably the area I struggle with the most. I'm not a very sweet person. Tender is not a word that you could use to describe me. And so it's something that I think is very important and something that I want to strive to do. So we have sacrificial love, purifying love, caring love, the fourth kind of love that we see in this passage as we look at the father's task of loving his children's mother is unbreakable love. Unbreakable love. Um, And the two will become one flesh. This leave and cleave idea. There is uh, a permanence that God wants for marriage. There is a uh, lack of independence that God wants in marriage where two become one. Let me just stop there and just share a little bit more about my story. You know, some of you might be in a situation where you have experienced divorce or maybe you're separated in some way from uh, your former spouse or your child's parent or what have you. That's a really hard thing to deal with. It was very hard for me to deal with. But let me just say that you can still show respect and love for that person anyway. I didn't have a great relationship with my father growing up, but something I would say about him is that he never said anything negative about my mom in front of me. That was a big deal to me. That was a very big deal to me. I did not want to be in a situation as a 15, 16-year-old who felt like he was raised by his mother predominantly to hear my father criticize her or badmouth her in front of me. And he never did. And so even if there is separation there, there can still exist this common love for the benefit of uh, any children that might be involved. But God's design, as he says here, is for this love to be unbreakable. Uh, this idea of leave and cleave, that I leave my mother and father, I'm joined to my wife, we become one, there is no independence. And so I would challenge you that there should not be any area of your life that is kept from your spouse. There is nothing that should be off limits for them to, to know about, for you to engage in them with. That when decisions are made, that you make them together. This is an important aspect of love. I talked earlier about uh, purifying love and not causing your wife to, to covet. And I think that when there is this closeness, this dependence on each other, that it really strengthens and builds a meaningful relationship. And so we see these four kinds of love that a husband is to have for his wife, and I believe that this is the first important task of fatherhood. Again, I'm going to say it again. I'm absolutely convinced that the best thing I can do for my kids is to love my wife. I'm convinced of that. That when they look at our relationship, when they know that daddy loves mommy, that it is a a big deal, that it is a comforting thing. It creates an environment where they can really thrive. I really believe that. And so as we think about this Father's Day, as we think about these two tasks, the first one being 
to love your child's mother, how are you doing? How is that relationship? Children are perceptive, right? They know when things aren't going correctly, when things are are struggling or difficult. And so they need to see an example from their parents where the father loves his mother and they can work through difficulty together. That's an important thing to learn. And so task number one for the father is to love his children's mother just as Christ loves us. Again, it all goes back to Christ. Task number two, Ephesians 6, verse 4. It's interesting that there are a a huge block of verses written for the husband's instruction in Ephesians. When you get to the father's role, it's contained in one verse. One verse. Task number two is that the father must disciple his children. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This verse, although it's small, shows us what discipleship is not, and it shows us what discipleship is. First, what discipleship is not. It says, do not exasperate your children. Uh, this word exasperate is a really interesting word. And in fact, you know, you can read a number of commentaries and it's very um, often difficult to kind of perceive what exactly this word is. But this does not mean uh, anger. doesn't mean anger. Which is good, because even my three-year-old in a moment of anger has told me he hates me, right? I mean... Now, he always, he feels bad about it. He starts crying. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Stomps up the stairs. But This does not mean anger, right? The reality is uh, a, a good parent is going to cause anger to well up in their child at some point. That's the reality. That when you disciple someone, when you discipline, right? That's what the word discipleship really means. When you discipline you're going to meet resistance, right? It's not just my kids, right? When I tell Daniel that he's going to be punished, he doesn't say, woohoo, that's awesome, right? And so there's going to be resistance. That's not what this word means. It does not mean that I need to just do everything for my kids and they end up spoiled, right? That's not what it means. What it literally means is to put their teeth on edge. I believe that this exasperation is a result of inconsistency. And I believe that that's what Paul is trying to teach us. That as a father, it is important that I am consistent in how I raise my children. I think consistency is an important factor. And this is something we all struggle with. I think there are a few areas in which this inconsistency can um, flesh itself out. Let me just list a few, and then I want to talk about a couple that I struggle with. Um, Overprotection, I think, is a way that I can be inconsistent, that I can uh, put my child's teeth on edge. Favoritism, Uh, expectations that are too high, discouragement. 
And I'm sure there are a, a whole list of others that we, could, that we could go through. But the challenge is, as a father, am I consistent? Something that I struggle with is discouragement. I shared that a little bit with you when I talked about uh, parenting a few weeks ago. It's kind of cool how God did that. I talked about parenting a few weeks ago when we, when we were going through our last series. Now I'm preaching on Father's Day. That's pretty neat. Uh, but I talked about uh, how I often find myself, I think, uh, struggling with discouraging my children. That when Daniel gets a, you know, 42 out of 43 on a math test, my first question is, what did he get wrong? <laughs> I think, man, you're such an idiot. <laughs> like, that's good, 42 out of 43, right? I'd take it when I was a student. And so I really want to create an environment in my household where my students, more my students, I guess it works in the classroom too, but where my children are encouraged, where they feel that, you know, their dad is behind them, that he is supporting them, that he is for them, that he wants them to find success. And so I've been trying to get better. Uh, baseball, my son plays t-ball. This has been a, a big way in which I've been trying to improve this, right? I will sit there and watch a game, which is kind of painful because, you know, they're six and five, and it's just like, ugh, this is awful. But, <laughs> you know, you got to do it. I always turn to my wife and say, man, we got a long time to do this for. Wow. We got four more kids, not to mention all the games. I mean, we're going to spend half our lives sitting and watching stuff. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> again, dad of the year right here. But anyway, um, again, I sit there and watch a game, and I think, okay, you know, again, I've been trying. I've been fighting against it because my instinct is, okay, he did this wrong. This was bad. This was wrong. He needs to fix this. We need to work on this. Instead of just saying, hey, man, good job. You played good. You know, you did this well. You did that well, you know. I want to create an environment, I want to, you know, improve in this area of encouragement for my kids. I don't want them to feel like their dad is always criticizing them, is always pointing out their failures or their weaknesses, and that's something that I struggle with. Um, something else that I have to struggle with is uh, favoritism. Now, favoritism is an interesting thing, right? We think, oh, well, you just love that child more than the other. No, the reality is, I think favoritism fleshes itself out in this area of inconsistency, and particularly with punishing, right? I mean, I feel like my tendency is Daniel, he's our oldest, he puts a toe out of line, and I just bring the hammer down, right? And then we have Emma, who, you know, is four, she's got that blonde hair and those blue eyes, and I look at her sternly, and she starts to feel sad, and she's like, oh, no. And it's like, okay, well, I end up being, you know, lenient towards Emma, at least a lot more than I am to Daniel, right? And I think that that's something that, again, I need to improve upon, that I need to treat my children consistently. And that when Emma does something wrong, I need to take care of it in the same way that I would with Daniel or any other of my kids. And so what area, what area uh, as a father do you feel you are exasperating your children with? That's something I'd like you to consider. 
how can you improve? Um, you know, maybe it's overprotection and you just, you know, you hear a lot of stories similar to the one I just shared where, you know, sons are allowed to go out and be crazy, but girls, you know, daughters aren't allowed to do that. And, you know, there's a tighter rein on daughters than on sons or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Is there an area in which you are being inconsistent as a parent, as a father? Because that is not going to leave you in a good place. That is not going to build unity within your family. If a child feels that they're being treated differently than a sibling, that is not a good place to be. And so disciple is not this idea of exasperating your child. It's, it's, discipleship is not being inconsistent. So then what is discipleship? We see it later on in the verse. Again, we're back in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are three parts to this. The first is training. Training has the idea of building character, of uh, a systematic pursuit in which you are trying to cultivate a well-rounded person. I need to approach each of my children and say, okay, what characteristics do I want to instill in them? Do I want them to possess? What qualities? Julie and I were talking about this yesterday. I think the most important quality that we can instill in our kids is an understanding of grace. Julie and I have talked about this. We've been in ministry for a number of years now. Um, I know I look kind of young, but... Um, been in ministry for a long time, and uh, this will be my 13th year in ministry coming up. Um, and I've, I've ministered to unchurched kids, I've ministered to church kids, you know, as a teacher here at our school, I, I teach primarily churched kids, and you know, it's, it was Julie's experience growing up too, where when you grow up in a Christian home and you you know, you get saved at four, it's just like, it's so hard sometimes to understand grace. It's so hard to appreciate the fact that even as a four-year-old, you were a sinner bound for hell. Even as a four-year-old, even my daughter Emma. And I think we lose that sometimes as parents, as growing up in a Christian home, and we, and we boil down you know, Christianity to, well, here's what you shouldn't do, and here's what you should do, because you want to make God happy, otherwise he's going to be sad and upset with you. And we almost build this works thing into our relationship with God. And I've seen it time and time again with student after student after student. Like, it is a common issue. Now, I don't know how to fully solve it. I think you could, you know, make a good deal of money writing a book about it if you could figure it out. But Julie and I desperately want to instill grace into our children. Desperately. We want them to appreciate what they have so that their life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can reflect what God has done for them. It's not about trying to, you know, make sure that God's not angry with me. 
It's a response to his grace. And I need to do that as a parent. I need to show grace to my children. I'm going to share this story about uh, Kenan. Uh, we were talking after the father's, uh, after the parenting class, and he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, there was this one time where, you know, I forget which uh, child of his it was, but he had his child uh, spank him. And he said, I'm going to take this punishment for you. And he just remembers how tearful his child got at this notion because it's like, wow, you know, my dad doesn't enjoy this. <laughs> this is, you know, an opportunity for my dad to show me grace and to experience that. You know, Keenan took his son's place in that regard. And so I want, I want to have moments like that in, in my life where... I can show grace to my kids in a very meaningful way that will stick with them because that's the kind of character I want to build into their lives. I don't want them to grow, grow up in a Christian home and just know the Bible backwards and forwards and understand you know, Scripture and say, oh yeah, I know all the right answers, but at the end of the day, they don't understand grace. They truly don't recognize the weight of their sin in light of a holy, perfect God. I want them to be able to appreciate that. And so what other characteristics you might want to build into your children, right? Uh, really, you know, integrity, honesty is something that is very important to me. I, you know, whatever it is for you, this idea of training is how can I build character into my kids' lives? This also involves instruction. It says bring them up in training and instruction. Instruction is putting into the mind, uh, this idea of instruction kind of follows uh, the book of Proverbs and what it means. It's, a, it's an encouragement or it's a reproof that leads to correct behavior. I've been doing this with Judah quite a bit because Judah, I don't know, Judah's, you know, at a stage in his life where he makes you doubt everything you're doing as a parent, right? Anybody have those days? But he's just like, man, like, my wife and I are failing as parents. Just look at Judah today. But, um, and so we've really been working on it. We've been working on this idea of instruction, of thinking through what the better choice is. I sit down with Judah after he has hit Benjamin. I sit down and say, Judah, now what did you do? Well, I hit Ben. I said, why did you hit Ben? Well, Ben hit me. I said, okay, I understand that. We've all been there. But what could you have done? What was a better choice? His response uh, the last five times I've done this is, I don't know. We go over this every time, Judah. You talk to him. If you can't resolve it, come talk to your mom or I, and we'll provide a solution. So the next day, same thing happens. I sit down with Judah, and I say, Judah, what did you do? He says, I hit Ben. Why'd you hit Ben? Because ben, apparently Ben has a hitting problem. <laughs> and I say, what could you have done? And his response is, I don't know. No, hopefully we'll get there someday. But the point is, I need to sit down, in addition to just 
punishing him. Right? I need to sit down and I need to instruct him. I need to put into his mind that there is a better way to go about something, that there is a better option, that he can make a better choice. And really, training and instruction end up going hand in hand because they're two sides of the same coin. That training really deals with the action and instruction really deals with the mind. And that you need both in order to successfully disciple your child. And then the last part of this verse, of the Lord. Ultimately, everything I do as a parent involves my Savior. We started with Jesus at the very beginning. We need to end with Jesus, that he shows us the example. His spirit empowers us to do it, that everything I do as a parent, if it's not done in the Lord, if it's not of God, it is not going to have lasting value. And I think this goes back at to this idea of grace, of I need to instill that into my kids, that the reason why we do this is not to make mommy and daddy happy. It's not because we don't want God to punish us or be mad at us. It's because we've experienced the grace of God, and that's an exciting thing, and that's something that should affect everything I do with my life. As we close our time, I want you to think about, especially you fathers, improvements that you can make in these two areas, loving your wife and discipling your children. We all have areas to grow in, and certainly I have more than most. But that's where I have to be humble where I have to accept God's grace. I want to leave you with two challenges uh, for you fathers as we close our time. The first is to practice humility. BJ alluded to this uh, before we sang that last set about recognizing that we are forgiven, that we have experienced God's grace, and there are times when I need to apologize to my children There are times when I need to um, be humble towards them and recognize, you know what, I did not handle this correctly. I was not perfect. They know I'm not perfect. It doesn't do any harm in me telling them that, right? And so I think humility is something that every father, every successful father needs to have, that there's a recognition that I have made a mistake and I need to make it right. The second thing that I would challenge you with as we end our time is prayer. This is something else that Julie and I were talking about yesterday. My wife's pretty wise. Is praying for my kids. I need to pray for my kids more, and I need to pray with my kids more. I look at my father-in-law. He... He is a man of prayer. That's something that encourages me a great deal about him. In fact, he prays for, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for 30 years now at the same church. And he prays for everyone in his congregation every day. He prays for his kids every day. 
prays for his grandkids every day. He prays for his favorite son by marriage every day. That's what he calls me. Well, he has Julie, and Julie has two brothers, so I'm his only son by marriage. So it's not, I'm also his least favorite son by marriage, but, but he prays for me every day. And he tells me that. I want to have that same ministry towards my kids. I need to pray for them more. And then I need to pray with them more. We were talking about wanting to instill grace into our kids, and I think that starts with prayer. That starts with, okay, instead of going right to the questions with Judah, say, hey, let's pray about this situation. How easy that that is and how effective that is to involve God in the process. That he is the focus. It's not me just wanting Judah to be a good kid. It's not me just wanting Judah to be compliant, but I want Judah to have a, a heart for God. And that starts with prayer. And I want my other kids to have that too. So as we close our time, fathers, your job is so important. I believe you have a twofold task to love your children's mother and to disciple your, your children. It's, it's one of the most important jobs there is. And so I pray that you are encouraged and challenged today as you think about your roles, whether, the, whether you're a father or a grandfather, whether you're just a mentor, that's such an important role to someone who might not have that in their life. I pray that you, know, you would really uh, be encouraged and challenged today to continue that pursuit because fatherhood's an amazing thing. We have a great father, and we have you know, a pattern to follow. We have someone to, to imitate. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day, this Father's Day. We thank you for uh, the blessing it is to, to be a father, the tremendous ministry that we can have. Father, I pray for these fathers today. I pray that you would help each of us to exercise humility in, in raising our children and loving our wives. I pray that we could admit our faults and shortcomings, that we could um, be able to have spiritual conversations with our children. Father, I pray that you would help our prayer lives for our kids, that we would pray for them and with them as we continue this important task of raising our kids. Father, I pray that you would just uh, continue to allow these men in this congregation to continue to lead effectively, both as a church, uh, but especially in their own households. Father, we know that we are prone to failure. I pray that we would lean on you for strength as we undergo, as we continue to undergo this very important task of fatherhood. Father, we thank you and praise you that it starts with Christ, that it's all about him who enables us to do that. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us for this important task. Father, I pray that you would stir within our hearts the, the desire and the need and the want to be the best, the most godly fathers we can be. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we'd like to ask Dr. Sheard to come on up. He is leaving on Tuesday for Burundi, Africa. 
He is going to be doing some leadership training as well as speaking at a, a Christian school in Burundi that he's been working with for a couple of years now. Is that correct? Yeah. And so please be in prayer for him. We're going to pray uh, for him as we close our service today that God would bless him and use him on this trip. Uh, please be in prayer for him throughout the week. Uh, pray for Sue, too, who's without her husband. <laughs> Is that a prayer request or a praise? I'm not sure which one, but no, but please be in prayer for Dr. Shear. Let's pray as we close out our service uh, together. Let's all stand and let's pray for Dr. Sheard and, and for uh, the rest of our day today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Dr. Sheard and the ministry you've allowed him to have in Burundi. Um, Father, I pray that as he, as he heads there on Tuesday, that you would uh, give him safety, that you would uh, protect him, give him a great ministry. Father, I pray that this church that is sending him would be in prayer for him, that, would be, uh, that we would all be encouraging him and, and, and thinking of him. We thank you for the lives that he will meet and interact with. We pray that you would just allow him to do a great work and that you would encourage his heart and bring him back refreshed. Father, I pray that you would be with us all as we leave here, as we go to celebrate with, with family on this Father's Day. I pray that you would uh, encourage our hearts today, that you would uh, help us to just enjoy our time uh, together as a family. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time, for being able to worship you and to be taught from your word. And Father, we just again uh, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.